0: Finally, the multi-year renovations are now complete, and now we can view the priceless collection of Rembrandt and Vermeer masterpieces in a whole new light in the newly restored Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam.
1: It's absolutely stunning, the architecture. I mean, it's the first time it's been renovated since its opening.
0: Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Coming up, we'll find out what's new in Amsterdam. We'll also take a look at what makes Switzerland so distinctive from the rest of Europe. It's where the German, French, and Italian cultures all come together together and take on an uncompromisingly Swiss accent.
2: It's Italian, yes, but it's still Swiss-Italian. Slightly more well-behaved. <laughs> and a champion surfer
0: from Basque Country recommends outdoor fun in Spain, where the intensity of a hike in the Pyrenees is all up to you. You can take day trips or several day trips, and then you can spend um, this, uh what we call refugios. A fresh look at Amsterdam, Switzerland, and outdoor sports in Spain. It's just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. When you look at a map of the European Union, there's a big hole in the middle where Switzerland is. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Coming up in a bit, we'll learn how the Swiss traditions of compromise and neutrality include a stubbornly independent spirit. It all gives character to the country that blends the distinct languages and cultures of its surrounding countries into a uniquely Swiss identity. We'll also have fun exploring the kinds of sporting adventures you can experience in the great outdoors of Spain. And we'll take your calls at 877-333-7425. Let's start today's travel with Rick Steves with a look at what's new this year in Amsterdam. The city is the best-preserved example of the Dutch Golden Age of the 17th century, when Amsterdam's merchants and colonizers made it the wealthiest city in the world. But Amsterdam is also a thoroughly modern city, with its vision firmly focused on the 21st century. Joining us for a look at the latest in Amsterdam is Nika Johnson. Nika works as a guide on river cruises in Europe for Tauk tours when she's not at home in Amsterdam. Nika, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Art. So what's the big news for visitors planning to go to Amsterdam uh, these days?
1: Ah, museums, museums, museums. They've all been renovated, and they're open and uh, welcoming everybody.
0: This is great news, because we've waited a long time as they've been closed or moved around and so Mm -hmm. on. and, And, of course, the Rijksmuseum is the big one, the National Art Museum. How's the new Rijksmuseum?
1: It's absolutely stunning, the architecture. I mean, it's the first time it's been renovated since its opening. So this is a a huge, huge feat for them. It was 10 years over budget, as you can imagine, but it it is an absolutely remarkable display of uh, pure Dutch architecture. So
0: they spent a lot of money. I understand they spent about $500 million to renovate this thing? They
1: did. Yes. That's incredible. It's a lot of money, but it shows. It was it's, sort
0: of purpose-built as a museum, isn't it? It so? was, And yeah. uh, now, just better than ever, in the Night Watch, the most famous painting of the golden age of the Netherlands, is back in its original position, Right in the, the Rembrandt the Room. Oh, that's so exciting. Mm-hmm. And also, just uh, a few blocks away, we've got the Van Gogh Museum. It was mm-hmm. closed for a while. What's new with the Van Gogh Museum?
1: Uh, just uh, the same thing. I mean, they just kind of went around and tried to, to tighten it up a bit and uh, make it look a little bit more appealing to the, the tourist and showcase the, the paintings a bit better than they were.
0: Okay, so you want to complement your Golden Age Rembrandt and Franz mm-hmm. Hall's uh, sightseeing in Vermeer. You would go a couple blocks away and see the beloved
1: The Van beloved Van Gogh
0: Thank you very much, (laughs) the Dutch pronunciation of Vincent. Now, what's striking for me all over Europe is there are industrial ports and with modern shipping needing deeper ports and everything, a lot of times they would abandon the traditional ports and move farther away, leaving what were thriving ports to be run down and and pretty much vacated. And then they see that and they can uh, renovate it and now it's uh, reinvigorated. And it happens in Hamburg, it's happening in Antwerp and Oslo. And it's also happening in Amsterdam. And when you go just to the north of the city, you see the the great uh, waterway there. And across the way, we've got the new Film Institute. Talk about what's happening on the Amsterdam seafront or or riverfront.
1: There's actually a huge amount of uh, productivity happening there. We have our new Palace of Justice that's just opened up there. Uh, You're seeing lots of... um, Almost new islands being built. In fact, uh, we have a big one called Java Island, which is in between North Amsterdam Mm -hmm. and actually between there and the Central Station. We have a saying, you know, that that God created the world, but the Dutch created the Netherlands, and you can constantly see that being reinvigorated it's day still in happening. and day out. It's still happening. And
0: this I E Y E Film Institute is very striking. Have you been to the I?
1: I have, and it's funny because it's kind of a play on on words. I mean, it looks, if you're looking at it from a distance, it actually looks physically like an eye, and it's uh, won some awards just for its stunning architecture. Hmm. However, it's built on the River I, which is spelled I-J.
0: I-J. <laughs> yes. And it is a fun, in love with life, in love with movies kind of place, and it mm-hmm. is welcoming to the public.
1: And it's right there on the water. You have a great little cafe as well when you're done, and you can sit right there on the water. Take and the
0: free ferry across from the train station, makes, take mm-hmm. your bike or walk over to the I and, and, mm-hmm. and have a cup of coffee and enjoy a little bit of cutting-edge Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it's more important than ever now to take one of the canal tours that do go out into the harbor. Exactly. Because, and the harbor, you've got lots to talk about.
1: And most of them will actually go out there.
0: That's great. And, and that didn't used to be so important, but now I think there's so much happening in the harbor that mm-hmm. it complements a look at the canals. Mm-hmm. You know, in the United States, we've uh, legalized recreational marijuana in two states, Washington and Colorado, and a lot of people who were interested in drug policy reform were inspired by the Netherlands. Now, actually, there's a little um, struggle going on in the Netherlands uh, looking at its marijuana policy and so on. What's mm-hmm. the latest on marijuana policy in the Netherlands?
1: Well, I think it's very interesting that uh, they have legalized it here when, in fact, we have never legalized it. We've just not made it illegal. (laughs) <laughs> in the Netherlands? It's just not illegal. Okay,
0: so it was like decriminalized. Or, it's you,
1: decriminalized. It's, there's no laws saying you can legally smoke. You just right. can't, it, you're just not illegal when you're doing it. And so if it's within a certain amount, so mm-hmm. anything under five grams is considered recreational.
0: Now, there was some uh, debate within the Netherlands that the federal government wanted to tighten up on these laws, but mm-hmm. the mayors were actually countering the federal government because the mayors are dealing with law and order in their streets, and they know if the coffee shops shut down there's going to be thugs selling marijuana on the streets, and there's going to be violence. Mm-hmm. So the mayors, interestingly enough, were advocating for maintaining the liberal status quo when it comes to this easygoing approach to marijuana.
1: Yes, when it came to the floor, actually, the the words that came out were, we don't want to become America, where everything gets very criminalized. It goes underground. You start seeing weapons, and it's, uh, it becomes more dangerous.
0: Nika Johnson's our guide to the latest things to do and see in Amsterdam right now on Travel with Rick Steves. And we're checking in with your travel plans for Amsterdam at 877-333-RICK. And uh, Joe from Silver Lake in Ohio is on the phone. Joe, thanks for your call.
3: Hi, Rick. My question uh, centers right on just what you were just discussing, the the drug use over there, because... uh, I'm going to be going over there for the first time with a group of friends. We're actually taking a river cruise, but we're going to spend several days in Amsterdam. And I was just wondering, with the liberal use of drugs there, is there any safety or you know concerns that we should be aware of?
0: One thing I'd comment, Joe, before we go to Nika, is that By every estimate, our governments and their governments, uh, the Dutch smoke about half the pot that Americans do. So just because they're liberal about drugs doesn't mean it's more consumed. Uh I would say there's more danger relating to drug consumption in the United States by far because it's criminalized and there's so much money and violence involved in it. Where in the Netherlands, I know a lot of Dutch people who have never even smelled marijuana. It's just, you know, some people smoke it, it's down at the coffee shop and you can go there, but it's really not a big deal, except for a lot of Americans who go over there and can't believe that you can buy a joint down the street.
3: Probably part of my surprise, I guess.
0: What what is that? What's what's your surprise?
3: Well, I mean, the fact that it it is so readily available, and and maybe that everyone just is very nonchalant about it.
0: That's the beautiful thing about it. When you just take the crime out of the equation, people go, okay, been there, done that, and and let's not fill our jails with it. I understand the Dutch even have so few people in jail, they're renting out cell space to the Belgians. (laughs) To the Belgians, yes. Is that true? (laughs) We are. Nika, any other thoughts about safety in the Netherlands? uh?
1: Well, safety in the fact that just be aware of your surroundings and and find um, there are certain coffee shops that are probably better than others. There are people that do lurk in there looking for tourists so that when they've let their inhibitions down, you're a target as you leave or you're a target while you're in there. Um, They have your number, they know. But uh, again, just be aware of your surroundings and... uh, and listen to the uh, the people behind the counter. They're the experts. You know, mm-hmm. they'll tell you how to use it, how much to smoke, or how to... Mm-hmm. Um, because they're all very different. And if some of the potencies, I mean, they're known for being very strong. So you have to be careful.
0: And if Joe's just concerned about his own safety from other people and he's not interested in smoking himself, I, mm-hmm. I would just remind you there are unsavory types all over the world that are going to target tourists because you know, we're the ones that are out of our element and, and we need to just be a little more on guard. But, but Joy, I, I don't think, Joe, there's any connection with your personal safety and uh, Dutch policies towards prostitution or drugs or, or anything. The Dutch just have a very pragmatic approach to things and, and for us it's fun to go there and check it out. That Sounds good. All right, have a good time.
3: Thank you very much.
0: And Caroline's on the phone in Dunwoody, Georgia. Carolyn, thanks for your call.
4: Hi, Rick. Hi. Thanks for taking my call.
0: You bet. Do you have a comment or a question for Nika?
4: I do. It's kind of a two-part question. My girlfriend and I are going over to Amsterdam, and we have already uh, pre-booked online our Anne Frank tickets because I didn't get to do it last time I was there. Um, what other top attractions would you pre-book to avoiding standing in lines? And what flower market in the morning would you consider worth getting up really early to see?
1: Okay, well, if you're going in the springtime, definitely you want to go to the Kokenhoff. It's uh, our, basically our exhibition garden, and it's 8 million tulip bulbs mm. and hyacinths. And I mean, it's just absolutely stunning. If you're in the city itself, we have the floating flower market. But if you're buying tulip bulbs, be careful, because they have to be okayed to take back home to the United States if that's where you're coming back to. Uh, a lot of times you can have them shipped, and they know where you are. They'll ship them to your house when they're supposed to go in the ground.
0: That's good advice. Also, um, Caroline, if you're interested in flowers, I loved the flower auction in Allsmear, is that right? It's in Allsmear, yeah. Near the Schiphol Airport.
1: Mm -hmm. And how do you go out there on a train? You can actually take a bus from the central station, and it'll okay. take you out there. And in fact, that's basically, it's the stock market for the flowers. And this,
0: in, in some ways, is the biggest building in the world, they say. It and is in, the biggest in, building. Yeah, and it's, it's filled with flowers, mm-hmm. not airplanes. I mean, this is an amazing <laughs> thing. And you'll be there, and you'll see this incredible business metabolism as they auction flowers every morning that are then flown to all different corners. And, and that, for me, was one of the most interesting sites in the Netherlands. Also, uh, Nika, Carolyn was asking about making reservations in advance. Uh, smartly, she got the reservation definitely from Anne Frank.
1: Definitely, the Anne Frank. Um, if you want to see Van Gogh or Van Gogh, you definitely want to get a ticket for that as well. Online? Be- online, you mm-hmm. can get that online, or the Rijksmuseum, because right now, it, actually, the Van Gogh Museum was our number one museum up until the Rijks reopened, and we just surpassed it. And So it's, those are the big three, Carolyn. the big three. Anne
0: Frank, Van Gogh, Van Gogh, and the Rijksmuseum. Mm-hmm. Okay.
4: I just wondered if there was some other hidden uh, hidden museum that I hadn't really thought about.
0: Well, there are hidden museums, but they don't have lines, and that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I mean, there's so many great museums in the Netherlands. You've got the Tropics Museum. Mm-hmm. You've got the Handbag Museum. You've got the Little Pipe Museum. <laughs> and my favorite, you've got the Dutch Resistance Museum, mm-hmm. which really uh, arguably is more impactful even than Anne Frank. I mean, it, it sort of complements Anne Frank don't miss the Dutch Resistance Against the Nazi Occupation Museum. Mm-hmm. And that never has a line. You'll be all alone in there.
4: Is that in the city?
0: It's in the city, yeah.
4: Okay, great.
0: All right, Caroline, great. thanks for your call.
4: Thank you.
1: Bye.
0: Bye now. All right. Nika Johnson, thanks so much. And uh, it's nice to be up to date on Amsterdam. And, and what an exciting place you have to call home.
1: 88 beautiful canals. That's, I'll end with that. We have a little tongue twister that we say. What is that? Um, 88 beautiful canals in Dutch means achten tochte prachtige gerachten. So come see them. Say that again. 88 beautiful canals. 88
0: beautiful canals. I'll be there. Mika, thanks again.
1: Thanks for having me, Rick.
0: We'll look at the variety of outdoor sports you can enjoy at any age in Spain in just a bit. Next, we'll take your calls at 877-333-RICK as we focus on Switzerland, the country in the middle of Europe that's a blend of its neighboring cultures but still has its own way of organizing things, including opting out of the European Union. It's travel with Rick Steves. I guess a country with four official languages and the steepest mountains in Europe just has to be well-organized and super-efficient to all work out. We're learning about Switzerland right now with Swiss-born Martin Minnick and tour guide Donald White, who enjoys the Alps from his home base just next door, near Lake Como in Italy. Martin and Donald, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Switzerland has four languages. If you look on the the Swiss franc note, you see four different languages. What's the story here, Martin?
5: We are a um, confederation of 26 cantons. Those are politically equivalent to uh, states in the United States. And they came together beginning in central Switzerland, the German-speaking areas, and they grew as a union, as a confederation of friends, of people defending their way of life, which happens to be a alpine mountain farming kind of a culture. But over the 14th century, more and more places wanted to join, and those happened to be places
0: that were historically in the... Um, Different linguistic zones. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So centuries ago, five 600 years ago, the first cantons got together and created the, the Swiss Federation. That's right. And it was such a cool organization. Other people just wanted to get on board.
5: Yeah, if you think about it, this is um, kicking out the feudal system. This is um, revolting against, um, maybe you would say 500 years later, about taxation about without representation. Um, why should we, Swiss farmers, be paying a Habsburg, giving big uh, parts of our harvest to this guy, that is suppressing us, that is uh, taking liberties with um, with our women, so
0: they sort of kicked that, them out. There's an independent <laughs> spirit there that, that yes. survives to this day because you've got that, that sort of independent uh, style. I mean, everybody else has the euro, and you guys are hanging on to your own currency. Why is that, Don? Don well,
2: White? it's something which is always coming up in referenda, and that's a cultural difference because the Italian Swiss and the French Swiss usually vote to go into the euro, but The Germans, Swiss, don't, and they're two-thirds. So they always carry the... (laughs) Oh, is that right? So the Germans do dominate. If you were French or Italian,
0: and what is it, like uh, 40% of the country speaks... German, 30% oh, French, more like 60%. 60. 60% is, uh, German. So yeah. German-speaking,
5: mm-hmm. no, like 25% a, French, and less than 10%, 10%. Percent Italian. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And then there's uh, one little tiny fourth group. The Retro-Romanish, but nobody speaks only Retro-Romanish, so they're all speaking either Italian or German as well. Yeah. But there's about 60,000, maybe it's under 100,000.
0: And that's in the, uh, it's sort of a little enclave where the language is directly related to ancient Latin, is that right? Yeah.
2: It's in the eastern part of Switzerland, in, in the, the Graubünden, near San Moritz. Is the most famous place. Okay, where you mm-hmm. and that's called
0: uh Romansch Romant.
5: Romant. Reto um, I think uh, originally it was um, Roman soldiers that, after the disbanding of the Roman Empire, had nowhere to go. They were stationed in Helvetia. Oh, there they And um, here they um, were set loose. Where should they go? They had no roots in Italy, so they settled in those uh, valleys. It is their old Latin dialect that and today, they kept going. In the
0: twenty-first century, it'd be pretty cruel to raise your child speaking Romand <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yes.
5: <laughs> it would happen. be. Yes, no, I don't. But think you so. do
0: find the four languages on the currency the notes. This mm-hmm. is travel with Rick Steves, as we do every week. We're delving into a different culture, talking with local experts, and broadening our perspective. Today, the topic is the distinct cultures within the little country of Switzerland. Our phone number is eight seven seven three 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 seven four two five. Joan's on the line in Scottsdale, Arizona. Joan, thanks for your call.
4: Hi there. I have a question, and my question is, um, culturally, how are the Swiss Germans different from the Germans residing in Germany?
5: The joke in Switzerland goes, it's the große canton, the big canton, <laughs> that's that's Germany, and uh, we like to distinguish ourselves from them, and a lot of it has to do, of course, with envy, because the Germans being a very thorough, very well-educated people that in Switzerland, maybe the education system came way later. Um, Our industrialization came way later. So in Germany, you have um, schools and factories and a tradition of excellence in um, high achievements in the modern world, and all that came way later in Switzerland. So I think uh, you will notice uh, a distinct difference when you are traveling from
0: Switzerland to So Germany. there's a respect in Switzerland for the accomplishments of the Grosser Canton, the big state up north, Absolutely. Germany. Absolutely.
4: Um, I also would be interested in knowing, I know the French population is uh, much smaller, um, and how the French-Swiss are different from the French or the Italian-Swiss different from the Italians.
2: Well one of the good things language wise is that the French Swiss have simplified their their counting so they don't talk about 420s they talk about 80 so they, they make it much easier so I didn't they know go that. from 60 to 70s uh, you know the French go to 70s they say 70 they don't say 420s, they say auton. So they've kind of simplified it. That's one of the things I can think of. The so, of so that's
0: head. very practical, very oh, Swiss. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very Swiss, very well organized. So, yes. so everybody else goes 60, 70, 80, and
2: the French go 60 plus 10 yeah. or 420s. Yeah, but Catra the Swiss van. have got it, they've, they've got it logically. The Italian-Swiss, I'm not sure uh, they're less corrupt. One of the statistics we were looking we're at good. was the fact that on the, the international scale of corruption in countries... Switzerland is number one for being the least corrupt in business uh, versus politics. So, whereas whereas uh, <laughs> under the table business is almost international. You don't have to go very far across <laughs> to Milan and you will find a very different situation.
5: But also I would say the uh, Italian uh, Swiss are interesting that way. We, um, I live in the United States now and we love listening to classical music and whenever we want just the safe thing whenever we want to have not too much of the experimental thing, you know, waking up in the morning, you don't want to listen to some discordant kind of a music. Well, we turn into the Swiss radio of uh, Swizzera Italiana, the Swiss-Italian classical music station, and it will be just as nicely organized as you would expect it. It will be the predictable Dvorak's and Vivaldi's
0: and... Uh, <laughs> so you take the love of Italian classical music <laughs> yes, and you you, yeah. you put over that some Swiss discipline.
2: Discipline or what's the name of the
5: radio station? Uh, radio della Svizzera Italiana. Mm-hmm.
2: And we listen to that in Lake Como because we want to know if the weather, if it's going to be cloudy or sunny. Everybody in Verena and Lake Como they listen to the Swiss one because that will be right. And the Italians will tell you lies. Oh, is that right? <laughs> well, they all say that.
0: So, just so our listeners know, Don, you live just south of the uh, Swiss I border. I live across the border in Italy. In Lake yes. Como, yes, in Italy. Yes. And you can, uh, you've lived in Switzerland, now you happen to be living yes. in Italy. But if you want a reliable weather report, you can listen to the Swiss one. That's great. Don, <laughs> I hope that gives you some fun ideas.
4: Thank you so much.
0: Okay, bye now. Radio Televisione Svizzera, Rete 2. You know, uh, Don White, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the differences between the different countries in Europe, and there's the, the famous joke about uh, the French and the German and the, and the Italian and the Swiss and the mm-hmm. English policeman and cook and all that. And we have the different uh, regions in Switzerland. What is that joke, first of all?
2: It's something we used Isn't to do, it? teaching language, to teach nationalities. So, so you've uh, got five nationalities. Yeah. Ones we always did were the, the British, the French, the Germans, the Swiss, and the Italians. And we asked our, our pupils to put them into different categories, heaven and hell, and with different employments. So you've got the policeman, the engineer, the cook, the lover, and everything is organized by it. And they would always do it the same way. So in heaven... The policemen are always going to be British. The cooks are always going to be French. The engineers are always going to be German. The lovers are always going to be Italian, and everything's organized by the Swiss. But in hell. (laughs) 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 And then you'd get various um, varieties. You would get, um, it was usually that the cooks were British. The engineers were French, the policemen were German, the lovers were Swiss, and everything was organized by the Italians. (laughs)
5: That's that's the perfect way, I think, to put it, yes. (laughs) And and
2: considering that Switzerland is sort of a microcosm
0: of Europe in a lot of ways, with an Italian and a French and a uh, German corner, could you say within Switzerland, if you were to make a general statement, you could have the same joke about the Italians, French, and I German, don't know Swiss. if
2: they would do it quite so much there. I think I've always heard Swiss is Swiss. So okay. they would tell it about the other nationalities, but I don't know, would they do that within their own country? I think
5: you're right, Don. I think it's something that uh, you are Swiss. You You might really? have a cultural yes. difference. You might have a... Uh, speak a different language, but you do consider yourself uh, more Swiss, and you kind of look maybe not down your nose at the French when you're a French-speaking Swiss, not But
0: really, you're more Swiss than but French. But absolutely, yes. So, you wouldn't say if you want good food in Switzerland, you go to the French area, and if you want chaos in Switzerland, go to the Italian area?
5: No. Well, the, about the food, yes. About the, the chaos, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think the food is definitely better in the French and the Italian-speaking uh, parts, but Organization-wise, I think that's that's the that's very Swiss. Swiss that's that's the, Swiss. Whether the, you're the Italian, defining, or German, yeah, the <laughs> defining subject right there. I like that.
2: <laughs> because one of the things we notice when we I come over the border and I go to Lugano, I go to Lugano for the day, go shopping, or whatever. Mm-hmm. First thing is, you cross the road and all the cars stop.
0: Really? No, no you, in cause, Italy because you live just over the border yes, in Italy, but yeah. when you go into the Italian uh, Swiss Switzerland,
2: section. and you're walking down the street and you want to cross the road, and you know, there's a crosswalk. You're kind know, of going, what are these people just, doing in the they stop. <laughs> they, no, they stop. The cars stop, and we're not used to that in Italy. We're used to waiting until... You have to maybe. remind yourself they're speaking Italian, but this is not Italian. So Italy. they've got a different mentality. I mean, yeah. it's Italian, yes, but it's still Swiss-Italian. And I got slightly that. more well-behaved. <laughs>
5: Absolutely. I would agree with that. And um, maybe just to, to throw in a little bit uh, where the whole country has a little bit of a, of a common denominator is that Really, even the German speaking Swiss, they are the biggest, they're two thirds of the of the country um culturally. But the influences come very strongly from France and from the French culture, going back historically all the way to the sixteenth century, fifteen fifteen. Um, they had a friendship pact with the French. Mm. Then later, it was the Napoleonic uh, codes that were embraced strongly in Switzerland.
0: Whether they are German, Italian, or French-speaking exactly. Swiss people. All I didn't realize cantones. that. So there is a sort of a a cohesion with French culture and style.
2: And you're a lot of French words in Swiss German. That's a
5: good yeah. uh, good
2: example. Merci. <laughs> yeah, merci. merci, that's right. You see the French. Alle de bitte. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah.
5: the billette, the merci. Uh, it's by the way funny because you you talk about Swiss German and whenever I say merci, filmol or ciao, you think now I use the French or an Italian word. Yeah. Not so. This mm-hmm. is Swiss. Ciao is <laughs> that's, ciao. There that's is Swiss a, German. A, yeah, the, the, the Italians might have ciao, but that's something else. Okay, we so have ciao. <laughs> you speak Swiss German and ciao is Swiss exactly, German. Absolutely. And merci for
0: thank you, same thing. Merci, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Fascinating. Martin Minnick and Donald White are our guides to Switzerland right now on Travel with Rick Steves. We're at 877 April's calling in from Roseville, California. April, thanks for your call.
4: Thanks for having me. By pure accident in fall of 2012, my husband and I were at a hotel having breakfast on the Oregon coast and heard German being spoken. And we got to talking with the couple and found out that they were Swiss farmers and were traveling and were interested in California agriculture. So after talking for over an hour... We uh, invited them if they had time that we'd be happy to host them. And sure enough, a few, ten days later, we got a call from them and hosted them for three days and showed them our California agriculture, and they invited us to Switzerland. We joined them last summer, and we were overwhelmed by their kindness. We just had such a wonderful time, and they shared their some of their special Swiss customs, and especially mm. on... August the 1st, which is, I understand, their national Swiss holiday, oh, that's
1: correct, yes. like
4: our 4th of July. And mm. she cooked braided Swiss breads for us on Sunday. and...
0: Oh, great. The Zopf. That's wonderful. <laughs> April, we you were did...
4: just overwhelmed.
0: You'll be impressed by the hospitality and the warmth of the Swiss people when you stay in the hotels and the guest houses and the Zimmers. But if you can just make a friend, and it's easy to do, get invited into a home, and it gives you a very rich experience.
4: We had a 95 year old friend of theirs who she used to work for play the accordion for us in a swiss chalet overlooking their dairy
0: hard to beat that hard it, to beat that now martin uh, april mentioned uh, the fourth of july in switzerland which is august 1st i've been there in august 1st it's a great time how might a traveler enjoy independence day in switzerland
5: I think just showing up is pretty much it. I think the Swiss do get a little bit of a a knock or get a little bit criticized for not being able to party. But I think especially on the 1st of August, you will notice that it's being uh, whooped up and uh, there will be music playing. There will be some boring um, mayor somewhere at a microphone telling you uh, all his accomplishments of the last year that will probably involve just very small, small accomplishments but um, it is a fun time to be there. There will be fireworks, like I said, music playing. People will be out in the streets. The 1st of August is, is a big deal. At least the afternoon will be off. We can't be too lazy and take the whole take national the day, half day off. off. Half a day is all that, that's required by law. So and then <laughs> let your hair down <laughs>
0: just a little bit after the mayor's done talking. Yes, yes. All not right. too much. <laughs> April, thanks for your call. Thank you so much. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about the different cultures of Switzerland. And, of course, the small country, you've got four distinct languages. With each language, there's a different cuisine, a different architecture, and even a different temperament. But also, you've got a country that is proud and through and through Swiss. Don White, what is it about Swiss culture? Give an example of how it all holds together in spite of its diversity.
2: I think it's a lot to do with the fact that Switzerland has... Succeeded in being a neutral country since 1815. They've had a constitution which has been there since 1848 and how the Swiss parliament is always the same people. A lot of people don't know who the, the prime minister is, if you like, but it's always the same people who are there and there's a continuity of government. What do you mean the same people? Um, they have elected seven people into the federal Federal councils. Council. Mm-hmm. So that would be the Undersen executive. Rights. One of them mm-hmm. will become prime minister, if you like, or in charge, but only for one year. So then nobody Mm -hmm. really knows who it is. So it's a very
0: weak executive branch. You've learned from your other uh, neighbors you don't want to have a a king or or a tyrant. Yes. And there's a built-in mechanism to keep one man from having too much power. Yes,
2: and within the seven, they've already decided they're going to have two from this party, two from this party, two from this, and one from the other.
0: Wow, and the point is Switzerland excels in pluralism. In pluralism.
2: Everybody uh, gets along together.
5: What everybody in Europe considers the characteristic of the Swiss is the compromise. Um, nobody will be a complete winner or a complete loser whenever there is a political discrepancies. The Swiss are just uh, champions of finding a compromise, of finding the, the common ground. There is a culture of 700, 800 years
0: that has been building on this. Martin Minnick and Don White, thanks so much for giving us an insight into Switzerland and, and how a country with such diversity lives Together so well,
5: and as we like to say, halt rede mit you You've got to talk with people. halt rede mit
0: I like that. You've got to talk with people. Don't say what. What would you say in Switzerland?
2: Well, what they teach foreigners as a kind of tongue twister to see if you're going to make it or not is "Kochersterrli," which is a small kitchen cupboard. Now, why that should be the first a word that you're ever going to learn in any language I don't know that's enough to make you not want to talk to people but I like but remember it's a enemy. throat disease it's not a language Spitzerdeuts <laughs> it's a throat
6: disease not a language there's a touristic <laughs> brochure title for you <laughs>
0: Share your travel tales from Switzerland with us in our online radio forum. You'll find it in the radio section of ricksteves.com. Next, our mountain adventures take us from the Alps of Switzerland to the Pyrenees and into Spain to discover a variety of outdoor sports and adventures you can have right there. We're at 877-333-7425, and you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. One of my favorite places in Europe for a hearty hike is in the Pyrenees Mountains. Those are the mountains that make the border between France and Spain. Joining us now on Travel with Rick Steves with tips for some of the fun outdoor activities you can enjoy in Spain is Agustin Cerisa. Agustin lives in the heart of Basque Country in San Sebastian. He's won surfing championships, and he specializes in taking visitors on outdoor sporting adventures. Activities like downriver canoeing, sea kayaking, paddleboarding, mountain biking, and hiking in northern Spain. Augustine, thanks for being with us. My pleasure. When you think about, first of all, the mountains of Iberia, you know, Americans usually think of the Swiss Alps and so on. Talk about the mountains of Spain.
6: The mountains of Spain, the main mountain range is the Pyrenees. Mm -hmm. And there you find uh, at least 13 peaks over 12,000 feet where you can find all kinds of ski resorts for the wintertime which has uh, become um, a big spot for hiking and biking on the springtime and the summertime. And it's a good option for being in contact with nature, hiking through the valleys, uh, mountain biking. There's a nice mountain bike train called the Transpyrenees, the Transpyrinaica, which goes from the Cantabric coast in northwest of Spain all the way to the Mediterranean
0: Sea. So the Pyrenees mountain bike trail. Mm -hmm. going from the Atlantic coast of the mountains all the way to Catalonia. Yeah. where Barcelona. Wow. And you can do that by mountain bike. Yeah. Yeah. In 28 days. 28 days. Depending on how fit you are. (laughs) Now, would you stay in uh, mountain huts along the way? Or would you stay in villages or what? You can choose.
6: You can always choose. You can uh, free camp all along the way, or you can uh, use the
0: campsites or stay at little hotels. It's all up to you. So you can ski in the winter, and you can mountain bike or hike all the way through the summer. Also, you talk about downriver canoeing. What's that? There's several spots along the uh, Pyrenees where you can go whitewater
6: rafting, whitewater kayaking, downriver canoeing. And those places are um, by different valleys. One is the one coming down from the Ordezfa National Park. Uh There's one place called Ainza, where you had to go for all these kind of activities. There's one other place called Murillo de Gallego down south under the Pyrenees where you
0: can uh, combine the canyoning as well, the hiking, mountain biking, and the down river. Now, canyoning is something that a lot of adventure sports uh, enthusiasts do in the Alps. Yeah. And this is basically putting on pads and hanging onto a rope and going down like a bag of potatoes into a canyon and bam, bam, bam through the water. <laughs> Diving into pools. and uh, it Sounds yeah. very dangerous and uh, it sounds like sort of hitting yourself in the face a lot of times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> if you're following
6: a guide and structure, that's safe enough. But if right? you're going on your own and into a new canyon,
0: you have to you know, take care of yourself pretty much. And this Uh, is one of the sports that you lead as a guide? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So now, in your business, what are the most popular adventure sports in Spain as far as, you know, how much business you get? Yeah, probably hiking is the most popular. It has become,
6: Mm -hmm. it's very accessible for all kind of people. It's not like um, mountain biking or kayaking that uh, it requires some skills for the people, Mm -hmm. of the people. But in this case, hiking, there's all kind of uh, people from different ages, different uh, shape
0: that are doing this activity. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Agustin Cerisa. We're talking about adventure sports in Spain. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Joan is calling in from Miami in Florida. Joan, thanks for your call.
4: Hi. My husband and I and another couple are planning a trip for about 10 or 11 days, and our question is, we're senior citizens, and we're in fairly good shape, but we have the usual aches and pains and knees and so forth. Um, we want to do a little bit something outdoorsy, like hiking, biking, canoeing, and it sounds like, from what I've just heard, that hiking might be our best bet. What yes. What's your advice?
6: Probably hiking. I mean, uh, listening to you, um, hiking. You can always choose what kind of hike you want to be able to to hike, depending on the the length of the hike and the, stiff, the stiffness the steepness of the of uh-huh. the area where you're going to.
4: And you just. You you uh, find a guide who would
6: um, help us with that? or Yes, yes. depending go? on the area, it's all uh-huh. well-controlled, and uh, all the instructors and guides have to be kind of legal, official. You can hire them, and then they will take you on different routes, and you can ask them, you can tell them your age and how, how much of experience you have, your skills, and, you know, orientation and, and hiking,
0: and, and these guides will help you. Now, Augustine, if Joan is going on a hike and hiring you to help her around, uh, her and her husband around, one of my best memories was staying in a mountain hut in Ordessa. How would you incorporate actually sleeping in a mountain hut into the itinerary? Oh, that
4: sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because that's where I met so many people and had beautiful food, and, you know, it's just, there's something really romantic about just taking off your boots after a good hike, high in the mountains of a country you've never hiked in, yep. and be surrounded by other hikers. Yep. Talk about the mountain huts in the Pyrenees.
6: Yes, you can take day trips or several day trips, and then you can spend um, what we call refugios. That okay. would be one of these Like a mountain huts. refuge. Yeah. So, yeah, mountain refuge. And uh, you just pay a little fee to, to sleep in, you bring your sleeping bag, you get um, some food if you like, or you can you know, use your Little stove and
0: cook your own meal. Do they cook food there if you have no stove? Depending on the refuge. So you would know as a guide which one to go to? Yes, yes. But you said a little money. What would it cost for a a mattress in one of these mountain refuges? 10 euro per night. 10 euros. So $15, Joan, and you got yourself a bed in the middle of the Pyrenees. Yeah. Wow. Good. Thank you, Joan, for your call. I I think that's, you know, that sounds like a fun mix of culture and uh, adventure and outdoors to be hiking in the mountains of Spain. Love that, but we're hoping. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks to you, Augustine. Anybody can get a a map and go go hiking. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to pay for a guide to go hiking? Well, what what value would it bring me?
6: It's kind of when you take a cultural tour or a city tour. It would be the same thing. You meet in somebody local who knows pretty well the area, and he's gonna be giving you advices of. uh, Well, I usually talk when I'm hiking about all kinds of things of the area. I mean,
0: to the nature.
6: Yeah, nature, obviously, nature, geology, um, birds, a lot of birds and uh, animals in the area, but also the lifestyle of the farmers as
0: well, what they're living on, what they're producing, and. Uh, because that's one thing about Europe is there's, uh, I mean, when you're out in the outdoors, you're also connecting with the culture because the population density is higher and there's been people there for centuries. Yep. So you encounter Basque shepherds or something. That's and you can right. find a little hut and you can check out the traditional cheese. That's right. And you, you would know these
6: things. And you will see it. And you will see caves that were used uh, for smugglers, I mean, for smuggling or for taking people during the Second World War away from France into Spain because this mountain range is separating France from Spain. Wow. There's so many things to talk about. I mean, <laughs> during the dictatorship, it was used as, um, you know, the smugglers would hide all the
0: products inside the caves as well. And when you say the dictatorship, you're talking about Franco. Frank. Yeah. Nino's on the phone from Northridge, California. Nino, thanks for your call.
3: Hi, Rick. Thank you very much. Uh, Augustine, uh, this is great. Uh, we're planning to uh, fly into Barcelona, and we want to take a biking trip. Uh, we uh, we normally bike between 35 and 45 miles uh, a day. When we go, we've followed Rick's advice on a couple of European trips and taken a couple of bike tours already, one in Austria and one in Italy. And so I was wondering what you might recommend for us in uh, the Pyrenees area of Spain.
6: Good. Barcelona is kind of three hours drive from, uh, from the Pyrenees. You can either... Hire a company in Barcelona that would take you to the Pyrenees on a several day trip, or you would drive yourself to a place like uh, Noguera Pallaresa, which is a nice valley where you can find all kinds of outdoor sports, and then there you will be able to hire a company to do the same thing. So you have, a, according to Mountain Biking, I would approach to the Pyrenees
0: and there hire any of the companies running the. So you would go to um, some sort of an outdoor town or resort up in a high valley in the Pyrenees Mountains, and there you would find a small company that rents bikes? Yes. And you could either go on your own or you could take one of their tours for a day or several days. That's what I mean. I mean yeah. uh, flying into Barcelona and then yeah. heading straight away to the Pyrenees. Now, we're kind of talking Pyrenees, but that's just the northern edge of Spain, If um, Nino wants to go biking anywhere else in Spain, what are some, a couple of good places where people enjoy biking, just uh, cross country bike tours? Down south, Granada, the Sierra. Oh, the Sierra de Granada. There's another, there's a nice trail there. So, Nino, Uh, these are the mountains between Granada and the Mediterranean coast, is that right? mm -hmm. South of Granada a little bit.
3: Okay, so between Granada and Malaga.
0: Yeah. It's a nice round trip
6: all around the. A round trip from Granada. That would be great. As well.
3: what was the trail you mentioned that would be in the Granada area?
6: The Sierra Nevada, the Nevada Sierra. That is the biggest ski oh. resort in Spain, and that is this nice round-trip trail.
0: How many days would that bike path be? Six to seven. Six to seven days. Nino, that could be good.
3: That that, that sounds perfect for us. That's, yeah. That's just what we were looking
0: for. And you can fly into Granada. Granada has the cutest airport. There's good flights into Granada, and it's just like you're, you're right there in the town, and then... Uh, pick up a bike and, and make that your base and do a, a one-week bike circle from there. Uh, what, what's another, uh, Augustine, if you, if you wanted to do more biking? Because a lot of people, you know, they're, they're not mountain climbers, but they're uh, active and they want to get out and enjoy the, the wind in their face. Where's another place that would be good for biking? Something that has become very popular is the St. James Way. St. James, the, the, Camino the Camino de Santiago. That's right. You can bike the pilgrimage path as well, mountain bike it, as yeah. well as hike it. And it has different
6: routes. It has the main way, which right. is pretty flat and easy, yeah. or you have the north way, which
0: is very hilly and steep. So, Nino, do you know about the uh, Camino de Santiago?
4: No,
3: I well, I, the, I know I had a colleague from work that hiked it. He stood, he and his family spent a month walking that way, but yeah. I didn't know you could bicycle on it.
0: Yeah, I think you generally take one month to make the hike from the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela. There are 33 stages. Right. Nonstop would take you 33 days. Okay, but you could bike it. Yeah, yeah.
6: instead of How doing... How long would
3: it take to bike? Uh, what portion of the path would you recommend for biking for, let's say, a week uh, bike trip?
6: Hiking would be 18, 20 miles a day. I would bike 40 miles or 50, depending on, you know, your, your shape.
3: We can go about... We do 40 to 50 miles a day. That's no problem.
0: Nino, that's the way to do it. Do the community Santiago. It's so historic. It's so many cool people along the way, and there's refugios. There's these huts all along the way that are friendly and almost free and a great camaraderie. Nino, thanks for your call.
3: Thank you very much, Rick. Thank you, Augustine.
0: Thanks to you. We're exploring some of the ways you can liven up your next trip to Spain with Agustin Sarisa. He's a private tour guide based in Basque country and besides city and winery tours, he specializes in guiding visitors through a variety of adventure sports in Spain. His website is guerrilla-trip.com. Our phone number at Travel with Rick Steves is 877-333-7425. Gordy from Oceanside in California is on the line. Gordy, thanks for your call.
4: Yeah, thank you. Hi, hi, Augustine.
0: Hola. Hola, Ketan.
4: Yeah, i have um, um a traveler into uh, Madrid and Barcelona last year, got to do all that, and, and uh, I'm interested now in, in going back and um, I'm doing some sporting events along uh, Costa del Sol, if there are any available there. And I'm a water guy and interested in some skin diving, maybe some sea kayaking, uh, sailing adventure, and also uh, some spectator sports, if there's anything uh, available along there. Uh, maybe you have to go to Barcelona for that, but... That's kind of what I'm interested in, and I was wondering what you uh, might recommend.
0: So Gordy is talking about the Costa del Sol. That's the south coast of Spain, a strip of resorts basically on the Mediterranean where everybody goes for their fun in the sun. What's some ideas there for Gordy? In the south,
6: sea kayaking and sailing would be the best bet. Okay. I mean, there's, uh, the Mediterranean Sea is quite quiet in summertime, May, springtime. So I would recommend to go sailing very, pretty much or sea kayaking. Oh. Now it um, has become very popular, the stand-up paddling, you know, the paddle surfing. Paddleboarding. Yes. Paddleboarding, yeah. Yes. yeah. It has become pretty popular, and uh, you can find that in most of the places.
0: In most of the towns, I'm sure you could rent the gear. Yes, you can. You know, all the surf shops would rent you all the equipment. Now, how would you compare the Costa del Sol with the Basque coast? Up north
6: is rough. The coast is rough, and you get all the hills rich in the seaside, while um, we get, getting, as I said, it's pretty consistent and swells. It's uh, rough as well. It's, uh, the looking is um, it's greener up north. We get um, more rain and more rainfall along the year than in down south. It's not as hot as it is in down south in Costa del Sol in Malaga. But uh, we have nice uh, weather, nice temperatures uh, along the summertime, a nice sea breeze, which makes the, uh, the feeling nicer than uh, you know, down south, which can be very hot. Very hot in the summer. Yes. <laughs> All right, Gordy, have fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call.
0: Enjoy your time.
6: Bye-bye.
0: Augustine, now you're Basque, and uh, when we go to Basque country, that's the area where Spain sort of hits France and the Atlantic, there's a lot of uh, great ways to appreciate nature. Talk about the fun you can do outdoors in Basque country just for a minute or so.
6: Yes. Well, the Basque country along the coast, you can enjoy the ocean, sailing, sea kayaking, surfing. The whole coast is very important because of the consistent swells that are hitting the Basque Country from September till
0: April. But the surf is basically always up in Basque Country then. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Constant swells. And then sea kayaking. Now, that sounds very exciting, very adventurous, and very accessible. Yes, it is. It's something you can do along the coast. I mean, it's very nice. What would you see? Why
6: would it be great? Well, one place to go is the, you know, Guernica. For the painting. That area, there's a nice natural reserve called Urdaibai which is uh, it's a kind of a big story. It's a river flowing into Guernica and making a big story into the sea. You find places like Mundaka, from there, you can start sea kayaking and get to
0: Lekatio, which is a very nice
6: fishing village. I love Lecateo.
0: And I was just thinking, that's the one town I know on the Basque coast, and it is just dramatic. And that is uh, from uh,
6: Laida, which is a little town outside Guernica. You have, um, this a uh, four or five hours kayaking trip to get to Lecateo.
0: Now, if you are done with your exercise for the day and you just want to see some Basque sports... I get the sense that Basques are kinda of like the Scottish people. They're into big man endurance sports. What are some of these fun man on man kind of sports? <laughs>
6: well the most popular would be the basketball, the high ally. Okay. The high
0: ally would be one of the most popular. And that's like just whipping that handball around. It's like kinda of like handball with a scoop. Yes, with a big net a big basket. Very fast game. The fastest game. Ball game in the world. Now, you can see it in an arena with the professionals, but it seems like every town has a a highlight court. Yes, it does. Is this just for kids to play before dinner or something?
6: (laughs) Good question. But all of us, we we raised playing uh, with a handball. I mean, uh, since I was a kid, uh, I would
0: do so. Every neighborhood in San Sebastian has a a basketball court to play in. Okay, so like Americans have a basketball court or a baseball diamond, you would have a handball court. That's right. That's right. But I was thinking about tug of war and lifting stones and cutting logs. Do you have those kind of competitions on
6: a special day? Yes, we have. I mean, in, in little towns when they have in the festival, every summer festival, you'll be able to see so. Also, in the on the French side, they're very good at that. July, because they have uh, every day, places like Saint John de Luz, Biarritz art, you can have one of those exhibits on you know, rural sports we call. Rural sports. Yeah.
0: Okay, so after all of this surfing and this handball and this highlight and this rural sports and you're very thirsty after a long day yep. in Basque country, what are you going to drink? <laughs> the local wine is the best option. And what is that? It's
6: Chakoli. Chacoli, Chacoli. What it makes this wine so unique is the vineyards are very close to the sea, to the shore.
0: So the vineyards are right on the close to the shore. So it's got yeah.
6: like of a salty kind of. Uh... That's right. That's right. The sea breeze is leaving the salt on the skin of the of the grape, and the tannins are absorbing the salt, and it's giving that special taste. And then how you pour the the wine on the glass makes it a kind of a cultural experience. So
0: it is sort of a theatrical thing. Uh, if I remember, they, they pour poured uh, sort of showboating, they, they pull the jug very high and it drops down about a meter before it hits the glass. That's right, that's right. And it's not a glass glass, it's a ceramic cup. Is that the chocolate or is, It's a glass. Actually, it's a, glass. it's a big glass and you want to break the wine into the glass to emphasize the taste. So that's why you cascade it down for one meter <laughs> so that you break the wine. And That's... give it and open up the flavor. Yes, it gets the oxygen, and you emphasize the taste inside your Sort of mouth. like slapping you in the face <laughs> for your wine, so it's more alive. <laughs> That's right. All right, there's so many ways to be alive uh, in Spain, and it helps to have a, a guide to enjoy the adventure sports of, of that uh, exciting part of Europe. Agustín Cerisa, thank you so much for uh, sharing a little insight into adventure sports thank in Spain. You. Thanks to you.
3: Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton with Sarah McCormick and Isaac Kaplan-Wilner at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Our website team includes Andrew Wakeling and Kate Mulhern-Graham, and our theme music is by Jerry Frank. You'll find more online, including links to our guests, program extras, and a chance to join us as a caller on the show. Look in the radio section of
0: ricksteves.com and join us again next
3: week for more Travel with Rick Steves.
0: Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours all over Europe, one small group at a time. Choose from three dozen exciting itineraries covering the best of Europe from Ireland to Istanbul, Paris to St. Petersburg, and practically everywhere in between. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.